Oh, man. Good morning. Good morning, Horizon. It's good to see everybody. We've got some new faces out there. Welcome to Horizon Church. Good to see you guys. We've been in a... Thank you. I get, I get one hello. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate that. Uh, we've been in a series called Lead Follower, How to Lead and Follow Well. This has been kind of our leadership series and how we view leadership and what we think about leaders and how we become a better leader, how we become a better follower, and how all of us in many ways are both leaders and followers simultaneously. And so we have to learn how to lead well and follow well. And the best leaders actually have learned how to, lead, how, how to follow well first. Jesus is our ultimate example of a great leader, and he was constantly following the direction and the lead of the Father. And so as he constantly was in connection to the Father and he was watching what the Father was doing, he said, I'll only do what the Father does. I'll only say what the Father says. And he was the ultimate leader because he was the ultimate follower. And of course, he tried to pass that on to his disciples. And this is where we've been in this series. Each Sunday, we've talked about an aspect of leading and an aspect of following that will help create a healthy leadership culture. And we, week one, we talked about living honorably as leaders and showing honor to our leaders when we're the follower. We talked about servant leadership when we're leading and serving leadership when we're the follower. And we, last week, Ryan talked about the burden of leading and the burden of following. And, and all of those are out online on our podcast page. You can listen to those. This is our last week, and we're focused on passing the baton and receiving the baton. And, of course, that's just analogy language from track and field. How many actually ran track and field? Anyone? You, did you guys have to do those little, little thin shorts? Keep your hand up. All right, we can be honest here. There we go. Not, I'm not sure I want to see you in those little, those little shorts. No, okay. Um, but, but the idea is that in order for a relay race to go well, the, the pass has to be good, and the, rece- the receiving of the baton has to be. Like, both have to work together. You can't just have someone that's good at passing the baton, and then it drops because the other person doesn't receive it. You can't just have someone ready to receive it, but, but no one able to pass it. You really need both. And, and this is really how we pass on leadership to other people. And the principle we're going to look at this morning is that the mark of a great leader is not just the ability to delegate, but the willingness to replicate and replace oneself. It's not just about delegation. Sometimes we talk about delegation and and, and empowering other people, passing work off to other people. But a lot of times what leaders do is just pass off the stuff they don't like to do. And, of course, the followers then are stuck with all all the junk work, right, that's been delegated to them. But real leaders, good leaders, great leaders, they learn how to replicate and replace themselves, which is exactly what Jesus did and exactly what we need to do if we're going to be good leaders. So let's talk a little bit about passing the baton. There's some phases that we go through, and we kind of start with teaching, right? This is when we educate others in in what you know. And teaching is sort of the very first form of passing off your leadership. You're you're teaching them the, the knowledge that you have. But it might be the lowest form. As we move on, you start to maybe delegate things to other people. This is when we enable others to do the things that you do. But a lot of times with delegation, it's, it's the stuff we don't really want to do, the stuff we're not passionate about doing. We're hoping to find someone else passionate about taking out the trash, you know? We, we, don't, we want to pass that stuff off to other people sometimes. 
Unfortunately, with the bosses that we work for, the leaders that we've seen in church, unfortunately, this is where a lot of leadership stops. And what I want to say this morning is that in order to become really great leaders, we got to take the next two steps. And the next one is this, replicate, which means to equip others to do the things you love to do. See, the thing that you love to do, the thing that you don't want to let go of, the thing that you could do forever and ever and ever and ever, the thing that you want to be yours, the thing sometimes we find too much identity in, like this is my thing, I'm good at it, I love to do it. That's the very thing you got to show someone else how to do. That, that's the thing you have to let go of and train someone else to do it. That's replication. And to take another step further, to replace means you empower others to step into your role. So it's one thing to empower someone else to do something that you love to do or to train them, to equip them. It's another thing to say, okay, now I'm not even going to be in that role. For me personally, as a pastor of a church, I love to preach and teach. I'm passionate about it. I love to do it. I love to pray for people, pray for healing. Pray for people to get free from stuff. I love that, love that, love that. And so it's my job to take those things and and try to replicate a a speaking team so that we have a team here of speakers that rotate. And you guys have have heard from our speaking team. And and to to train them up, to raise them up, to, 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 to help them do something I love to do rather than me do it or me and Ryan do it every Sunday. It's to raise up others to do it. And then to replace myself would be, you know, to be like, well, I'll see ya. Missy convinced me to move to Houston, Texas, so I'm out of here. Um, and, and really pass the whole role, the entire, the, the whole thing, off to somebody else. So let's break this down a little bit and look at this. Uh, you know, Paul does this beautifully well in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. It's interesting. He's writing to the Corinthians. This is a church that he's planted. And you can see all those things in there. You can see teaching. He did teach them, right? He taught them his way of life, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. So we see that he did teach them. He did delegate things to them. But then we see this next level where he sends Timothy. He says to the Corinthians, imitate my life, which is what we've talked about in previous weeks. But then he goes a step further and he says, guys, I can't be there. But you know who I'm going to send? I'm going to send my son. Now, it's not his biological son. He's not saying this is one of my biological sons. He's saying this is my son in the Lord. Like this is my spiritual son, which means I was a father to him. And then I took everything I knew and everything I was and my whole way of life and all my teaching and I gave it to my son. And now my son Timothy is going to be with you and he's going to show you this way of life in the gospel. I think what this kind of teaches us is this. Teachers want to educate and I love teachers. I love to teach. Missy's a A teacher, love you teachers. Teachers is a great, but it's sort of just the first step. Managers want to delegate. We need managers. We need people to organize organizations, you know, to delegate responsibility. We need those, but that's just the next step. And what I want to say is leaders want to replicate, 
But if we want to go even further, which is what we see with Paul, mothers and fathers want their sons and daughters to replace them. It's mothers and fathers that actually want to be replaced. Like if you're a leader, a lot of times if you're just a leader and you haven't become a mother or father, you're you're still holding on to that thing. Like it's yours, it's your, like you're the leader, you're the boss, people need to listen to you, and you'll delegate, maybe you'll replicate some things, but man, you're still holding on to it. But when you transition into being a mother or father to the people you're leading, or maybe a big brother to the big sister to the person you're leading, you want them to replace you. That's what, that's what mothers and fathers want. When, when mothers and fathers own a, a company business, what they want is their son or daughter to to get old enough to take over the business. And they want to step away. They want to get out and let their son or daughter run that thing. That's the pinnacle of good leadership. When you're willing to replace yourself, it means we become mothers and fathers. Mothers and fathers want their own ceiling to become the floor that their sons and daughters stand on. They work hard. They sacrifice. They, they get to a certain point. But what they want, what mothers and fathers who are leaders want, they, they want that ceiling to just be the floor. Like, that's what I want for my sons and my daughter. Like, everything that I have learned about Jesus and and all my experience and and everything he's taught me, I just want that to be like the ground floor for Nate and for Wes and Emily. Like, I want them to do at 10 years old something I didn't do till I was 40. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want them to start where I left off. I, I want them to start there so they can just keep going and go further and farther in Christ than I could ever dream of. That's what mothers and fathers hope for. This is really what we see with Jesus as he leads his disciples, and he kind of took them through these four stages of leadership development. And these are key, guys. If you're going to be a leader or if you're going to grab leadership, kind of the baton be passed to you, these are stages that we're all going to go through. This information about this, the way this is laid out, is found in this great book called Building a Discipling Culture. It's by a guy named Mike Breen, and it's in chapter 9, if you're looking for it. He, he, un, he unpacks this a lot more than I'm going to be able to unpack it this morning, but I just want to give you a couple snapshots of each stage. He lays out a square, and he says, basically, in this square is, is what you go through as both a disciple and a leader. And so let's talk about stage one. Stage one is this, I do, you watch. And it has to start there. The leader says, I'm going to do it. And then the disciple, the follower, you you watch me do it. You learn from me. The disciple style in this, the D1 here, is confident and incompetent. I love that. You guys know people like that, right? They're like super confident and totally incompetent about whatever it is that they're about to do. What it usually means is that they're just starting something. And usually when we're just about to start something, we're like, yeah, high enthusiasm, right? High confidence, low experience, low competence. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what they're getting themselves into, but they're really excited about it. That's how most of us start when we're brand new into something. That's how the disciples started. When we have this phase, we need the leadership style, which is L1, the directive and teaching style of leadership, which means high direction, high example, low consensus, and low explanation. Okay, so if I were to summarize L1, it would be shut up and listen. That's the leadership style it needs to be. Now, there'll be time, we'll see. We'll get to like the the part of the leadership styles that everyone's talking about today, which is like, oh no, you get consensus, you get buy in, you know, tweet in your opinion. No, 
That is not the leadership style when you start out in L1. You can't start that way because the, the people that are following you have no idea what they're doing. You have to be directive and you have to teach. We see this with Jesus, Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to take a poll and we're just going to find out who wants to follow me and who doesn't want to follow me and I'll get your feedback and your opinion and you tweet in your opinion about that and then we'll send some blogs about it. No, he's like, look, black, white, come follow me or don't follow me. That's your option. On, off, yes, no. Are you going to follow me or not? You need to tell me right now. It's directive. It's commanding. It's teaching. And I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left. And so they're like, yeah, they're really, really enthusiastic. They drop their nets. They're really excited. And they're totally incompetent to do about what they're, what they're about to try to do. It goes on, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And so in other words, the disciples are following him at this point, and he's doing all the ministry. He's doing all of it. The disciples are doing nothing. What they're doing is they're learning. They're watching. They're taking notes. But they're not actually doing anything. Jesus is doing 100% of all of it. He's teaching. He's healing. He's, you know, all of ministry is around him, and they're learning from him. In Matthew 5, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. It doesn't say he sat down and had a roundtable discussion and got everyone's opinion about the topic. That's not how he started. He did not want their opinion about the topic. What he needed to do was teach them about the kingdom because they had no idea anything about the kingdom. He had to teach them. Now, some of this is making you uncomfortable and there's a reason. It's because our culture wants to sidestep stage one. Our culture cannot stand stage one. In fact, it, it's trying to get rid of stage one. As followers, it has become popular to skip this stage, and I'm going to give you one word for it. There's a reason, and it's deep, deep in our hearts, and it's called pride. We don't want people telling us what to do. We don't want people telling us how to do it. We don't want to be taught. I don't want to have to sit and listen to anyone. My opinion is just as valid as yours, right? It's not. Who, who's teaching this? It's not. It's unfortunate because what's happening is people are skipping this whole first stage, and then they're drowning in stage number two, absolutely drowning, completely distraught, and usually they bail by stage two because they never actually learned anything in stage one. Here's a little inventory for us all. Have you thought or said these things? I don't want to be taught. I don't want to read. I don't want to listen. I don't want to have to do homework for the Bible study I signed up for. Though my opinion is wildly uninformed, I still want to give it. We can thank social media for that one. No, 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 listen, I read this article this one time. I know as much as a doctor that went to four years of 
you know, school, and then four years after that, and then two more years of residency, and then got a specialist. But no, I read an article one time. <laughs> what is that? It's called pride. It's pride. It's in all of us, and we don't want to listen to anyone. We don't want to learn from anyone. We certainly don't want someone else saying that they know more than we do. God forbid. God forbid we admit someone else knows more than we do. Stage one is an absolute necessity. We have to learn to be quiet and listen and learn. If we're going to become the leaders that God's called us to be, we have to become the disciples that actually learn how to listen to people. Stop injecting our opinion. Stop thinking our opinion is just as valid as theirs. And then just learn. Now, what it means is to do this, we need humility. In order to be a disciple in that phase one, we're going to need some humility. And if you're a leader leading someone in phase one, you're going to need to have experience and knowledge. You're going to actually have to have something to say. You're going to actually have to have some experience so that you can begin to teach it and pass it along. And the reason this is so important is because of stage two. Stage two is I do, you help. This is when Jesus said, I'm still going to do it, but disciples, now you're going to join me in it. And I want you to notice what happens in stage two. The discipleship style here is unenthusiastic and incompetent. This is the hardest phase to get through if you're following someone else's lead. Have you ever tried something new and you got really excited about it, only to run into the fact that, like, oh, my gosh, this is way harder than I thought it was, and I'm terrible at it, and I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'd rather just bail right now? That's stage two. Low enthusiasm, low confidence, low experience, low competence. It's, like I said, it's where most people bail out. And unfortunately, in our culture that's skipping stage one, people are especially bailing out of stage two because it becomes overwhelming, it becomes discouraging. In, in my particular context, it's when I train people to pray for others for healing, and they go and they try to pray for somebody and nobody gets healed. And they pray again and no one gets healed, and they pray again and no one gets healed, and they pray again and no one gets healed. And they're completely discouraged. Or in my context, it's when a person I've, I've worked with to speak up here, they get up here and they speak a message, and their first message is a home run, and everyone loves it, and everyone comes up afterwards and says, your sermon was amazing, and then they get up here for their second sermon, they're like, yes, I'm going to knock this out of the park, and they preach their second sermon, and it completely bombs. And they walk away, and they're completely discouraged, and they're like, I'm not sure I can ever do that again. <laughs> that was terrible. I can't face that again. That's stage two. And if you're a leader, it means that we have to, in this stage, we have to be visionary. We have to be coaches. We have to have high direction, high discussion, high example, high accessibility. We need to be accessible to people. We need to cast vision. When they're really discouraged, we got to say, no, 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 but here's the vision. Here's where we're going. I know it's really hard right now. I know that sermon was terrible. I know you prayed for 10 people and nobody got healed, but listen, this is where we're going. This is the vision. This is who we're going to be. And coaches do more than teach. Coaches actually get out, you know, like a basketball coach, gets out on the floor and demonstrates and encourages and inspires. That's what coaching is, and that's what we need for leaders in phase two. We're still doing it, but when people come along to help us do it, we got to be their cheerleaders. With Jesus, we see it in Matthew 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake 
Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, that, that, that guy's in phase one. He's super psyched up about it, right? And Jesus is like, let me introduce you to phase two. Stage two is this. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Great. You want to follow me? Awesome. You're going to be homeless. <sighs> Gut check, you know? Or how about this? Matthew 8. Verse 23, then he, got out of the, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. I love that. You know why Jesus is sleeping? Because he's not in stage two. But that's where the disciples were. The disciples went and woke him, said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. I love that. No, no, we're really going to drown. What are you talking about? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they're like, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves are banned. They're completely confused. Jesus, weren't we supposed to come to you if we were in trouble? It's, it's hard. It's like, what, what? I don't even know this guy that we're following. Like, wind and waves obey him. He's sleeping, and there's a storm. So here's what we need if we're going to be in stage two. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower in this stage, you need perseverance. Listen, some of you might be in that right now. Maybe at work, maybe you're being raised up to try something new, new hobby, new something. Persevere. Keep pressing through. It feels like it's terrible. It feels like it's never going to get any better. Keep pressing through. It's, you're going to need perseverance to get to stage three. And if you're leading other people in this, leaders, you're going to need patience. You're going to need to let People struggle a little bit and keep working and keep going. You're going to need to let people wrestle and, and fail a little bit so that we can get on to stage three. Stage three is you do, I help. This is when Jesus says, okay, I've been doing ministry the whole time, and you guys have been helping me, but now I'm going to step to the side. Now you guys are going to do the ministry. You're going to do it. I'll help you. I'm here to help you, but you guys are going to do it. And if we're going to raise up the next generation of leaders in whatever you're leading, at work, at school, in church, if we're going to raise up the next generation of leaders, we, we absolutely have to do this next stage. Stage three is essential. We have to let people do it. Take a chance with them. If you're the disciple in this, if you're the follower, D3 means growing confidence, right? You're increasing in enthusiasm. You have intermittent confidence. You're growing in experience. You're growing in competence. And as leaders, we got to shift our style. So if we started with a style that was very directive and teaching, right, very commanding, very black and white, and we moved into something more visionary and coaching, at this stage, we got to move even further. And this, this we could call pastoral or consensus. This is when you're getting a lot of feedback from the people you're leading. It, it, this is when they get to tweet in their opinion. This is when they get to speak into things and make, help make decisions and this is when everyone gets a voice, and this is really important because sometimes leaders, we hold on to it, and we're still stuck back here holding on to our authority as a leader and not welcoming people into this phase where they get an input, they get a say. This is what we see with Jesus. In Matthew 10, 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He's like, all right, guys, your turn. You saw me do it? You were with me when I did it. You helped me do it. Now you're going to go do it. 
These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And that defines kind of stage three. If you're the follower, it's you've received a bunch of stuff from the people that have been leading you. And now it's time for you to take the risk and step up and actually try to do it to give it away. Jesus actually goes a step further in Luke 10 with the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Notice this, he was about to go to those towns, but he just sent them ahead. So it's not like he bailed on them. Sometimes leaders do that, right? Oh, I'm gonna delegate. Okay, I'm gonna throw you into the deep end, I'm gonna walk away, figure it out. That's not what Jesus did. He sent them ahead, but he was gonna come behind and follow right? It's still you do and I help. He's still there to help them. He says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And notice this, they come back to Jesus for like a time of debriefing. And as a leader in stage three, this is really important. If you empower people to do something that's like your thing, You're going to need to have a time where they can come back to you and debrief about what they just did. You're going to need to give them constructive feedback about what they just did. And this is what Jesus did with the 72. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, which is great. They're they're sharing their experience, but then Jesus needs to tweak their thinking about it a little bit. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But then he does this little correction here. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's like, great job, guys. You did amazing. Awesome job doing ministry, just like I would do ministry. But here, let me give you a little tweak in the way that you're thinking about it. Your focus shouldn't be on the fact that you have authority over demons. Your focus should be on the fact that you are saved, you are loved, you're a son of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You've been adopted into the family. Keep that your focus, guys, even while you're doing ministry. And that's what we have to do to people we're leading in that stage three. We have to be able to, to come back with them and have like a roundtable discussion and say, okay, what went well, what didn't go well? Like what, what really was awesome and what wasn't so awesome? And let's tweak that a little bit. And this is the ultimate example, I think, in Matthew 14. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. It's the ultimate example, right? The crowds were hungry. Jesus says, look, I'm here to help. I'm going to bless the food. I'm going to break it. I'm going to hand the food to you. But you guys are the ones that need to go pass out the food. You guys are the ones that need to go feed the crowd. In this stage, in stage three, uh, if you're a follower, if you're a disciple, you need courage and you need risk. Because what it means is you got to step out from under the people you're leading and now you got to take the risk to go do it. You're the one that's in the spotlight. You're the one that has to step up and do it. And it's a risky thing sometimes. Sometimes it's easier just to hide under your leaders and let them take all the all the hits, right? Because leadership, you take some hits. Sometimes it's easier just to hide behind them. In stage three, you step out. You you gotta have some courage. You gotta take some risk and say, you know what? I'm gonna go for this, and this is gonna this is gonna be on me now. And if you're leading in this stage, it requires leaders that are confident. 
I think the number one thing that shows an insecure leader is the inability to empower someone to do this. The inability to empower someone to step up and, and do the thing that they love to do. When, when I, you know, if I get insecure as a leader, I don't want to let other people do it. Like, what if they're better than me? You know what I mean? What if somebody gets up here and just preaches like crazy and it's amazing? I don't want that. I want them terrible, right? I want people to appreciate me next Sunday. Not really. But you see what I'm saying? If I'm, if I'm super insecure, that's how a person's going to think. They're going to... Th- they're going to think, you can't ever be up here preaching. You can't ever be up here teaching. I need to be the one up here. I, I have to be the one up here because, God forbid, someone else get up here and they do a great job. we got to challenge our own insecurities here. If you're empowering someone else to step into your role, you've you got to challenge that insecure thing that rises up in you as a leader so that they can be empowered to, to be who they're called to be. At every stage of your leadership, you should be thinking, who can I raise up into this spot? Who can I raise up to take, take this over and do it better than I can do it? Last stage, stage four, you do and I watch. This is where if you're the disciple, the end is in sight, right? You have high enthusiasm, high confidence, high experience, high competence. If you're the leader, it means you replicate and you replace yourself. It means you step out and you let them shine. You step to the back and you let them Take over. Low direction, high consensus, low example, and high explanation. You're still there for conversation if you need to be, but you really want to empower that other person to take over. And the difference with stage four is in stage three, and this is what makes stage three difficult. In stage three, if the person you're raising up makes a mistake, it's still on you. Like if you empower someone in stage three to do that thing and they totally blow it, it's not on them, it's on you as the leader. But in stage four, it's different. When you raise that person up and you step into stage four, if they blow it, now it's on them, which is kind of nice as a leader, honestly. You just, you got to deal with the mess you made, you know, I'll be here to clean it up with you, but that's stage four, where a person takes total ownership. And we see this as Jesus ascends into heaven. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He, he promises, look, I'm still with you guys, but now, now it's your mission. Now you take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now The mission is yours. I hand it to you. And we see that in the book of Acts, right? The Holy Spirit comes and empowers them. It says in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now the disciples have become apostles. Now they're the ones doing signs and wonders and ministry and preaching the gospel. Peter stands up and 3,000, you know, come to know Christ that day. And it's just amazing. Because Jesus knew how to empower his crew and then to step away. And it's what we're called to do. In this stage, you need to take responsibility. If you're the one that's been raised up into a new position, you got to take responsibility. You can't put things on that leader anymore. It's not their job anymore. It's your job. It's on you. You need to take responsibility. And if you're the leader in this situation, it requires a ton of wisdom because the most tempting thing in the world for that leader is to creep back in and try to grab hold of things and fix things. Oh, oh yeah, let me, let, me, let me just get in there and just fix that for you. 
the wisdom is the one, the one that has wisdom is the one that knows to step back and allow people to make their own mistakes and figure things out at this stage on their own. And uh, it's incredibly difficult to do because you've been doing that thing for so long. You've been doing, that's been your thing, and you've been doing it for so long, and it's so hard to step back and let that person do the thing that was your thing. It also shows if there's been a part of you that you've wrapped your own identity into that thing, this is when it's going to show up. Because as you step away, you'll feel this pull. Any, any part of your identity that was wrapped around that job, you'll feel it as you try to step away from it, because it'll start pulling on you. And it'll help you realize, oh, man, Lord, instead of having all of my identity in you, I put some of my identity in this thing, and that's why it's hard to let go of. And that's when it's time to sever those ties and say, you know what? My identity is not that job. It's not that mission. It's, it's, it's not that thing. Like, my identity is over here, and I have to step away from it and let someone else lead. Let someone else be empowered. Let someone else do that thing that I love. So when we're passing the, the baton, here's the things we need to remember. We must be willing to set people up for success. There's too many people that are saying, great, I need someone to take this job. Here you go. And just throwing people in the deep end. And they're going from stage one to stage four without ever walking someone through stage two and stage three. And so the person's never set up for success. And so then the person fails. And then everyone's like, oh, we need that other leader back. And it feels great for the ego. Yes, you all need me back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, the reason you need me back is because I did a terrible job raising up this other person. That's why you need me back, right? But the person that walks someone through all four stages, you don't need them back. That's the beauty of it. If they're a really good leader, you don't ever need them again. It's kind of a paradox. We must be willing to replicate and replace ourselves, especially in areas we love. This is the part that's so difficult. Yes, but I love doing that thing. Yes, but we need more people doing that thing. So we need to replicate and replace ourselves. And we must think like mothers and fathers and older siblings. I, I got to be honest, when I thought through this, you know, I don't think of myself as a father to you guys. I think big brother is more apt. To most of you in this room that I know well, I think of myself sometimes as a, just a brother to some of you, and then just a big brother to others of you. And, uh, but still, that same role is there. It's that, that if I'm loving you well, if I'm leading you well, then I want to empower you into your fullness, into all that God has created you to be. If we're receiving the baton, we must be willing to work the process. We must be willing to go through all those stages, including stage one. We must remember we'll be one day asked to give this away. Listen, if you've gotten a role that you really love, go into that role enthusiastic, but go into that new role knowing that one day you'll be asked to give it away. It changes how we enter that new role. Because we enter that role with some like arrogance and pride, it's not going to go good for us, right? We need to enter that new role with some humility, realizing I need to become a person that can pass this thing off to someone one day. And finally, we must think like sons and daughters and younger siblings, honoring those from whom we've received. Um, as the worship team comes back up here, just a few more questions to end our morning. Are you stuck in a stage as a leader or follower? Think through stage one and stage two and stage three and stage four. Is there, is there one of those stages that you feel like maybe, 
there's this area of my life that, you know, I've just been in stage one forever. I haven't been willing to move to stage two. I've been in stage two forever. I haven't been willing to move to stage three. Are you preparing to replicate and replace yourself? And finally, as a leader, what do you need to release? And as a follower, what do you need to step into? Let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us with these. As always, if you have questions, you can text that number, and we'll get to those questions at the end. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate leader. You are the ultimate example of, of raising up disciples to replace yourself here on earth, and that we take up that, that calling, Lord. We are your disciples, so we, we take up that calling, the, the mission that you've passed to us. And God, we want to be the leaders that you've called us to be. God, we ask for humility. We ask for wisdom. God, we ask for patience. Now, all the things that we need to become the leaders that you've called us to be. Would you give us eyes to see the people that we need to pass things to? Eyes to see that next person that needs to be raised up into leadership. Eyes to see the, the person that we need to invest our time and energy in. But God, we need your help. And so we just ask in Jesus' name. Amen.